Welcome to this podcast from Harvest Community Church of Huntersville, North Carolina, where our vision is to make disciples who make disciples. I'm your host, Liz Stefanini. Well, as we turn to Haggai this morning, I want everyone to think back to when you were a kid you accidentally just caught a glimpse of my answer, but I want you all to think back to when you were a kid, and I want you to think, what was the greatest thing you wanted for Christmas when you were a kid? What was the greatest thing you wanted for Christmas when you were a kid? Take 60 seconds, share it with somebody beside you, and then we're going to share them, share a few of those with everybody else. What was the greatest thing you wanted for Christmas when you were a kid? Go. Alright, so what, what was the greatest thing you wanted for Christmas as a kid? Just call them out, I won't make you raise your hand, but what's the greatest thing you wanted? Cabbage Patch Kid? A bike? An RC car? Okay. Walkie talkies, you can have a lot of fun with some walkie talkies. An Atari. Well, when I was in the fifth or sixth grade, I wanted a Game Boy Color and Pokemon Red. And this is a picture from my dad's house of my Game Boy Color and the game Pokemon Red. But to say that I wanted these as a fifth grader is probably not very accurate. I felt like I had to have these for Christmas that year. And having to have these really became for me, I need this. When I was in the fifth grade, had I not gotten this for Christmas, my world would not have been right. So on Christmas morning, as every single year growing up, my family can attest to this, I was the first one downstairs. Even though I'd also made a few covert trips during the night downstairs to see if perhaps there were some presents unwrapped under the tree. My parents were pretty smart. There never were presents unwrapped under the tree. But this morning, this Christmas morning, I was the first one downstairs. And as I entered our living room, I began to intensely analyze every single package under the tree looking for one that would be the size and the shape of a Game Boy Color. And as my anxiousness and excitement built, I was ready to rip open every single present, whether it was mine or my sister's or my mom's or my dad's, to find out if I got my Game Boy. And then my mom said, we have to open stockings first. And thankfully I didn't say this out loud. But in my mind, I thought, what? Are you kidding me? I don't care about candy. I don't care about toothpaste. I don't care about hand warmers, which are what is in a mode family stocking every single year. I cared about one thing. That was the Game Boy Color and the game Pokemon Red. But as you can imagine, mom trumps a fifth grader. So we started with our stockings. And that year... There was a magazine in my stocking, which was very unusual because fifth grade Corey did not read. (laughs) I knew how to read. I just didn't like to read. 
So I pulled out this magazine and I opened it first. And as I tore the wrapping off one of the corners, I realized that it was a guide for the game Pokemon Red for Game Boy Color. And two things went through my mind at the same time. The first one was my parents forgot this was in my stocking or they wouldn't have let me open it first. The second one was my Game Boy and the game that I felt like I needed, that I had to have, was under the Christmas tree. And everything was right in my world that Christmas morning. Well, in Haggai today, we are going to see that when we seek God first, he provides what we need. When we seek God first, he provides what we need. He meets our needs when we seek him before other things. When we seek him before we seek the things that we feel like we need. And I want to qualify the phrase, what we need, this morning. Because throughout life, there are a lot of things we need. Sometimes we may need a new car or a new job or to be healthy or to pass a test. Sometimes some of our students need to pass a test they haven't studied enough for. All of these are real needs. But our greatest need is God himself. And in Haggai, he shows us that if we seek him first, he meets that need. So another way that we could say the big idea this morning is when we seek God first, he provides God. When we seek him first, he provides what we need. And as we read the book of Haggai, what we see is that the people of Israel did not have what they needed for everyday life because they were not seeking God. And so before we dive into the book this morning, I want to set the scene of Haggai's world. Because a lot has happened since we started this study through the Minor Prophets. Today, we are finally to the first Minor Prophet that prophesied after the exile. So a lot has changed since we started this study a couple months ago. So I want to bring up our map that we love. And I know all of you probably have this painted and hanging in your dining room or your living room. So you can explain what it means to everyone. But you see there the two nations of Israel in green. The northern nation of Israel after Israel split into two kingdoms. The northern kingdom was made up of ten of the tribes, which was Israel. And the southern kingdom was Judah. And then we see the kingdoms of Assyria and Babylon. And this is where we started ten or so weeks ago when we began our journey through the minor prophets. Well, in 722 BC, Assyria invaded the northern kingdom. Because Israel would not repent of their sin, they would not obey and follow God, Assyria invaded them, conquered the northern kingdom of Israel, and took the Jews into exile in Assyria in 722. Well, in 612 BC, the kingdom of Babylon invaded and conquered Assyria. We we saw this predicted in the book of Nahum. Babylon invaded Nineveh, defeated the capital city Nineveh, the capital of Assyria, and what once was Assyria and Babylon all became Babylon in 612 BC. 
Then in 586 BC, the southern kingdom of Judah went into exile into Babylon. Babylon invaded Judah because they would not obey the Lord. They would not repent of their sins and follow him. Babylon conquered the southern kingdom of Judah and took the Jews into exile. But then in 539 BC, the Medes and the Persians conquered Babylon. So we started out in the Minor Prophets and we had the two nations of Israel. We had Assyria and Babylon. Then we just had Babylon with no Assyria. And now in 539 BC, Babylon was absorbed into the kingdom of Persia. So all of this became Persian under Persian rule under King Cyrus. And in 538 BC, a year after the Persians conquered Babylon, King Cyrus issued a decree. This decree allowed any Jews that wanted to return to Jerusalem to do that. It allowed any Jews that were in exile that wanted to return to Jerusalem to return, to rebuild the temple. And in 536 BC, the temple foundation was laid. Two years after King Cyrus's decree, after this remnant returned back to Jerusalem, they laid the foundation of the temple. And we see this happen in Ezra chapter 3. In Ezra 3, starting in verse 8, we read, Now in the second year after their coming to the house of God at Jerusalem, in the second month, Zerubbabel, the son of Shiltio, and Jeshua, the son of Josedach, made a beginning. Together with the rest of their kinsmen, the priests and the Levites, and all who came to Jerusalem from the captivity, they appointed the Levites from 20 years old and upward to supervise the work of the house of the Lord. And Jeshua, with his sons and brothers, and Cadmiel and his sons, the sons of Judah, together supervised the workmen in the house of God along with the sons of Hinnadad and the Levites, their sons and brothers. And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments came forward with trumpets, and the Levites, the son of Asaph, with cymbals, to praise the Lord according to the directions of David, king of Israel. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord. Because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. Now Haggai prophesies in 520 BC. We know that because his book begins by saying this is in the second year of King Darius. King Darius was a king of Persia that began reigning in 522 BC. So in 536... The people have returned and they lay the foundation of the temple. In 520, Haggai prophesies. And in those 16 years, no work has been done on the temple. They laid the foundation and for 16 years they stopped working on the temple. And that's Haggai's focus. The fact that the work has not resumed. But more importantly, Haggai focuses on the heart issue behind the temple not being rebuilt. And six times in this short book, the Lord speaks to Haggai. And Haggai begins by confronting the people for the way they were living. They had been back in Jerusalem for 16 years. They had immediately laid the temple foundation, 
But then their neighbors and the people that surrounded them began to put pressure on them to stop building the temple. And they began to worship idols. And they stopped building the temple. And the work was stopped. But not the work on the rest of Jerusalem. For those 16 years, they ignored the temple, but they didn't ignore the city of Jerusalem. They rebuilt their homes. They rebuilt businesses. They reestablished the city. But they ignored the Lord's house. And because of that, Haggai accuses them in chapter 1 of living in paneled houses while the temple lives in ruin. And the word that he uses for paneled here, it means comfortable. Now, Haggai is not condemning comfortable living. We know that God blesses people with wealth. He blesses us with comfort. He blesses us with finances. That's not Haggai's issue. The issue here is that they were living comfortably at the cost of obeying God's commands. Their comfort has caused them to become complacent. And they were not obeying the Lord. The people were living in comfort while they had forgotten the most important thing, to worship God. They lived in comfort while the temple remained unbuilt and God's will was not being done. And because of that, they did not have what they needed for everyday life. They did not have enough food. They didn't have enough clothing. They didn't have enough money. They didn't have enough drink. And Haggai's desire for the people is the same as God's desire for us today. To prioritize God and his commands above everything else. Let's start in verse 1 of chapter 1. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shiltiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses when this house lies in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them in a bag with holes. In verses 7 through 11, Haggai reveals why the people don't have enough. God has withheld what they needed for daily survival because they have ignored his house. Here's the issue. Here's the truth of the situation in Jerusalem. When Babylon invaded and they burned down the temple, the people returned. The stones from the original temple were still usable. The stones from Solomon's temple were still usable. But all of the interior woodworking had been destroyed. So the people needed to replace all of the wood in order for the temple to be rebuilt. And in Ezra 3.7... They did the same thing that Solomon did, and they bought wood from Tyre and Sidon. Before they laid the foundation of the temple, 
the people bought the wood that they would need to rebuild the temple. In Ezra 3.7, we read, So they gave... So they gave money to the masons and the carpenters and food, drink and oil to the Sidonians and the Tyrians to bring cedar trees from Lebanon to the sea, to Joppa, according to the grant that they had from Cyrus, king of Persia. So when Cyrus made his decree in 538, he decreed that people should give money to the Jews to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. And in Ezra 3, 7, they used that money to buy wood, to rebuild the temple. But 16 years later, the temple still sits in ruins. The wood that the people bought wasn't used to build the temple. It's possible that they used this wood to rebuild their houses, to rebuild their businesses. We don't know. But in the second part of chapter 1, God through Haggai tells the people to go into the woods and cut down trees and bring wood and build his house. Starting in verse 7 of chapter 1. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways, go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in you and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and on all their labors. Haggai wants the people to realize that their actions have consequences. There is a consequence to sin. All of our actions have consequences. Some of our actions have good consequences. Some of them have bad consequences. Let me give you an example. Let's say today, after church, I were to come up to you. And I were to say to you that God spoke to me and told me that in three years, you are going to need to buy a new vehicle. And let's say you believe me. After all, I'm a very trustworthy person. I have a very trustworthy face. I wouldn't lie to you about this. Because you believe me, you begin this week saving money. And for the next three years, every time you get paid, you set money aside to buy a new vehicle. Well, the consequence of that action, of setting money aside every time you get paid, is that in three years, if you haven't touched that money, you will either be able to buy a car or you at least have a down payment to put towards a car. Now let's say today you are on your way home driving and rather than paying attention to the road, you're driving and you're on your phone texting and you're sending your lunch order to someone who beat you to the restaurant because Corey preached too long. And so you want to make sure you get your order right. And as you're texting, you don't see that the light in front of you is red. And you hit the car that stopped in front of you. And as a consequence of your distraction and your texting, you are injured and the person in the car in front of you is injured. And your car is totaled and their car is totaled. And now your insurance is going to go through the roof. Every single one of our actions have consequences. 
And the consequences for sin is even greater than the consequences for these actions. You see, sin creates separation between us and God. So let's say here I am and God is right here with me and I'm, I'm walking with the Lord and I'm being obedient to his will and I'm obeying his commands. We're walking step in step together through life and then I sin. I turn my focus off of the Lord and I choose to sin. My sin creates separation between me and God. And if I sin again, it creates more separation between me and God. And if I continue to sin and I don't repent and I continue the same action of sin over and over, I may get all the way over here and look up and think, God has left me. He's so far away. But God is not the one that moved. I was. You see, when we sin, it creates separation between us and God. And so often we may think, well, God doesn't love me anymore. I don't, I don't feel close to him right now. God is not the one that moved. We are. And when this happens, we need to repent to be brought back into a close relationship with the Lord. You see, repentance is a change of heart that leads to a change of action. Repentance is a change of heart that leads to a change of action and brings us back into God's will, back into alignment with God's will. Repentance is not just saying, God, I'm sorry I did that. It's not just acknowledging that we messed up or acknowledging that we sinned. It's a heart change that leads to a behavior change. And that's what the Lord and Haggai desire for the Jews of Haggai's day. And that's what the Lord desires for us today when we enter into sin. Haggai is different from many of the other minor prophets that we have studied so far. Because the people listened. God spoke to Haggai, Haggai prophesied, and as a result of that, the people listened, they repented, their behavior changed, and they began to rebuild the temple. And as they did in the end of chapter 1, God promised to be with his people, starting in verse 12. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. On the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. So a month after the people began to work on the temple, the Lord spoke to Haggai again. Some of the people of the older generation of Jews remembered Solomon's temple. They were old enough to remember the original temple. And as they looked on the second temple, in their eyes, the glory of this new temple 
didn't compare with the glory of the original temple. The new one was not as big, and so they wept. Because to them, the glory of this temple was not as great as the glory of the first temple. But God speaks to the people, and he encourages the people to be strong and work, because he will provide for the temple. God reminds the people that he owns the silver and the gold. God is the one who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. God owns everything that he created. And he created everything. All of our finances, everything that we have is a gift from God that he owns. That he gives to us to be good stewards of that gift. To point other people back to who he is. And God reminds the people of that here in chapter 2. He tells them that he will provide the money to build the temple. And that he will also provide the glory for the temple. Starting in verse 1 of chapter 2. In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. For thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. And I will shake all nations so that the treasures of the nations shall come in. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be, gr- shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. Two months after this, on the same day, on the 24th of the ninth month, God speaks to Haggai twice. And the first time that he speaks to Haggai in, in, on this day, he uses a question to highlight the truth to the people that it's easier to transfer impurity than holiness. Starting in verse 11 of chapter 2. Thus says the Lord of hosts, ask the priests about the law. If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches with his fold bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food, does it become holy? The priest answered and said, no. Then Haggai said, if someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these, does it become clean? The priest answered and says, it does become, and said, it does become unclean. Hebrew law allowed for holiness to be transferred from one object to another. If you came into direct contact with an object that were ho- that was holy, that holiness can be transferred. That's the illustration that Haggai paints in verse 12. The holiness from the meat is transferred to the garment that is carrying the meat. And Haggai asks the priest, 
Suppose someone touches the garment that's carrying the meat. Or suppose the garment that's carrying the meat bumps into some other thing. Does that person or does that other thing become holy? And the answer is no. Because they were not coming into direct contact with the thing that was holy. The meat is what was holy, not the garment. So touching the garment would not make you holy. In the same illustration, Haggai says, what if someone were to touch a dead body and then go touch that same garment that has the holy meat wrapped in it? Would the garment then become unclean? And the answer to that is yes. Even though the garment has holy meat inside of it, if someone were to touch a dead body and then touch the garment, it would then become unclean. And this is Haggai's point. The people were unclean. And their sin was contaminating everything that they touched. And so they needed to repent. Even though they entered into the process of rebuilding the temple, they needed to repent of their sin. In verse 14 of chapter 2. Then Haggai answered and said, So it is with this people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord. And so with every work of their hands and what they offer there is unclean. You see, the people in Haggai's day were focused on things that they thought they needed for everyday life. Food, clothing, shelter, money. And God sent Haggai to tell the people that they needed to seek him first. And not these other things. And in verse 19 of chapter 2, God promises to bless the people when they repent of their sins and they seek after Him and they obey His commands. Well, 500 years later, in Matthew chapter 6, the people in Jesus' day are focused on the same things. They are worried about what they're going to wear and what they're going to eat and how much money they have and where they're going to sleep. And they're focused on all of these other things to the point that they are not obeying and following the Lord. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says to the people to seek God first. Because He knows what we need. And this is how we apply Haggai to our lives today. Matthew 6, 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. 2,000 years later, so often we are still focused on the wrong things. The things that we feel like we need every day for life. Clothing, food, shelter. Yes, we need these things. But we don't need these things more than the Lord. So often we are focused on seeking after these things before we seek after God. And we don't have to look any further than our bank accounts to see the truth of that. Warren Wearsby says, Local churches can't expand their budgets for world evangelism because the money isn't there. And yet many church members don't believe Matthew 6.33 and put God first in their giving. Measured by third world standards, Christians in the Western world are living in luxury. 
Yet their giving is low and their debts are high because their wealth is being used for things that really don't matter. Today, what we need most is the same thing that the people of Haggai's day needed most. That's the Lord. To put our faith and our hope and our trust in Him. No matter what you face, to put our faith in Jesus, just like them, we need to seek God above all else because when we do, He provides what we need. And seeking God begins with surrendering to Jesus. It begins with putting your faith in Jesus, surrendering to Him and trusting Him for your, with your life. Letting Him be the Lord of your life. Putting your faith in His sinless life. Putting your faith in the truth that He is the Son of God, born of a virgin, who lived a sinless life and died in our place to pay for our sins. Putting your faith in the truth that He rose on the third day to conquer death, to defeat Satan and sin so that He can give us life begin to follow after him if you're here this morning and you're thinking Corey I don't even know where to begin seeking God that is the place you begin if that's all you know you know all you need to know seeking God begins with putting your faith in Jesus and if you need to take that step this morning I invite you to surrender your life to him and follow after him and we'll help you with the rest I want to close with this story. In 1887, William Borden was born to one of the wealthiest families in Chicago. After he graduated high school, his parents gave him a trip around the world as a graduation present. And on this trip around the world, William developed a heart for hurting people. And he wrote back to his parents to tell them that he was going to spend the rest of his life as a missionary. He returned home after this trip and he went to school at Yale and then he went on to Princeton Theological Seminary. And after college, he set out for China where he wanted to share the gospel with Chinese Muslims. But on the way, he stopped in Egypt to learn Arabic because that's the language that most of the Chinese Muslims spoke. And while he was in Egypt, at the age of 25, he developed spinal meningitis and he died. And even before his death, many people told him that he wasted his life because he walked away from the wealth and the fortune and the comfort that all of that money could have bought him to follow God's call on his life. And after he died, in the back of his Bible were three phrases. When he decided to give up his wealth and follow God's call into the mission field, he wrote, no reserves. After graduating college with many job offers, he chose to continue being obedient to the Lord. And he wrote, no retreats. And just before he died, while he was in Egypt, he wrote the words, no regrets. So I want to ask you this morning. What is the thing that you are seeking after the most? What is the thing that you feel you need the most in your life? 
I want to give us a few minutes just to respond to the Lord in prayer. Ask God to show you what you are seeking after. And today, if you need to put your faith in Jesus, I invite you to do that this morning. But spend these moments alone in prayer with the Lord. pray together oh Jesus we give you praise today you're not like us every one of us has sought the wrong things at some point or a lot of points in our lives But you always sought what is right, what is good. You said, I have come to do the will of him who sent me. You laid down any human ambition or human will for the sake of following God the Father's will. You and God the Father were perfectly aligned and you showed us what it meant to live a life that focuses on God's righteousness. And for you, it was so costly. It took you all the way to the cross. And what an incredible benefit for us because now, Lord, Even with our best intentions, we fail, we fall, we get distracted. But you, Lord, equip us, you enable us, your grace sustains us. I thank you, Lord, for the many, many people in this church that are seeking first the kingdom of God. And we praise you for that. But Lord, ultimately, it's it's because your grace is at work in these lives. And you're giving us the power and the ability to do that. So we praise you and we honor you and we love you for that. And we lean into you today asking you for your help. So that we, when we walk out of these doors, will seek your kingdom first in our lives, your rule. The world around us is so needy. People have so much need for you. Help us to love on them and show them the joy, the beauty of what God's rule looks like. We praise you and thank you and pray it in your lovely name, Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Thanks again for joining us today from Harvest Community Church. This podcast is also available on our website, harvestcharlotte.com. Please go there if you want to send a question or comment, learn more about our ministries, or find out how you can donate to support the podcast.